The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, October 8th, 2023, on the basis of Matthew 21, verses 33 through 43. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. Have you ever seen the TV show called The Chosen? If you haven't, it's a TV show that follows Jesus' earthly ministry from the perspective of the disciples. And unlike a lot of Christian TV shows and movies, which are low budget and end up a little cheesy, The Chosen is actually pretty well done. I recommend it. One of the best parts of the show is the actor who plays Jesus, which is a tall task. But he does a great job acting through his eyes. You can just see the care and compassion that is in this actor's eyes as he looks out over the people he came to save. It makes you wonder what it must have been like to be one of those disciples who got to look into the eyes of the Son of God and see that unconditional love looking back at them. It also makes you wonder what it must have been like to be one of Jesus' enemies. And when they looked into the eyes of Jesus, what did they see looking back at them? Was it love? Or was it judgment? Some people, when they think about God, they don't see him as loving. They picture an angry judge who's always watching their every move, always with a lightning bolt within arm's reach, just waiting for them to slip up one more time. I hope that many of you don't view God this way, but sometimes we fall into the ditch on the other side, and we see God as a pushover, we know how many times we've sinned, and yet we've never gotten that lightning bolt. And so we start to think that God is maybe just a little too nice, a little too kind to punish us for our sins. In the Gospel reading today, in a way, we're looking into the eyes of God. And when we look into Jesus' eyes, we see how he sees those people who reject him. And we get a little peek behind the curtain and we see how God views these people over the course of history. We won't see some sadistic punisher God who just loves punishing sinners. We also won't see a timid pushover God who's too afraid to do anything about us. Instead, we see that God runs his kingdom with patience, yet without permissiveness. When Jesus first told this parable to the crowd in the temple that day, they would have known exactly what he was referring to. They knew well the portion of scripture we had for the first reading, the song of the vineyard from Isaiah. They knew that the vineyard symbolized Israel. And they also knew that Israel had a history of rulers who mismanaged God's gifts to them. And they also knew that Israel had a history of killing the prophets that God would send to them. So when Jesus told a story about a landowner who gave entrusted tenants with a vineyard and then he sent them servants but they killed the servants, they knew that he was talking about Israel's history, their nation's history. So the landowner is God, the servants are God's prophets, the tenants are the evil rulers of Israel's past, and then the vineyard is Israel itself that raises an important question. Where are you and I in this parable? 
It's clear that Jesus told this parable almost specifically to the Jewish leaders who were in the crowd that day. He wanted them to realize that they were just the latest tenants to reject him. But if we look closely, we'll see that we and those Jewish leaders often commit the same sin. Because we and those tenants have a lot in common. The landowner set the tenants up for success. He planted the whole vineyard for them, which was an arduous process back then. He put a wall around it. He put a watchtower up there for extra protection. He even dug the wine press for them. He gave them everything they could have needed to produce grapes for him. Think of how God has set you up for success in your life. He's given you that life. He sustains your life. He gives you whatever food you want to eat, whatever clothes you want to wear. He gives you a nice house, a good vehicle, and on top of it all, he's brought us to live in Mount Horeb, where there are no mosquitoes. And those are just the physical blessings. Think of the spiritual blessings that he gives us. He brought us to faith. He gives us people around us to encourage us in our faith. He gives us his word and sacraments to strengthen our faith. He gives us this family of faith that we can share our lives with. God has set us up for success. He has given us everything we need to serve him. He has given us the vineyard, and he entrusts us to manage this vineyard to his glory. And yet how quick are we sometimes to act like the tenants, to take God's gifts and then turn around and try and keep them away from him for ourselves. God sends a person into our life, and instead of thinking, how can I treat this person in a way that glorifies God? We think, how can I treat this person in a way that makes me the most happy? How can I spend my money in the way that brings me the most happiness? How can I spend my free time in the way that brings me the most happiness? How can I stretch and squeeze and dice up God's commands into the way that best fits me? Our sinful nature loves to twist God's every gift and squeeze all the happiness we can out of them for ourselves. What's God going to do about it? In the parable, God sent servants to these sinful tenants to remind them that they owe a portion of their crop to God. In our lives, God gives us gifts, and then we abuse them. What does God do? He sends us more gifts. Is God foolish? Is he a pushover? Is he just going to let us treat him like this? No, of course not. God is not going to let us bully him around as long as we please. The better word than pushover for how God rules our lives is patient. And that patience is evidenced to us by the most surprising part of the parable. When the landowner sends servants to these tenants, each of the servants is abused and killed. And yet the landowner keeps sending servants until he has none left. Then what should he do? He should send a SWAT team in there to take care of those violent tenants. But he doesn't. He sends his son. He wants the tenants to respect his son. He wants to have a personal relationship with the tenants. God is not some cold-hearted business owner that makes an investment in us 
and then when we don't turn as much profit, he'll cut us off and leave us out to dry. No, God loves us personally. He sent his son to gain that personal relationship with us. He sent his son to die so that we could be forgiven of our sins. That's patience. And when we look into the eyes of the son, we see that patient love looking back at us. We see how he repeatedly calls us back to him in the Gospels. Not because he can't stand up to us, but because he can't stand to see us abuse God's gifts. And yet we shouldn't confuse God's patience with permissiveness. Because when Jesus first told this parable, there was no permissiveness in his eyes. It was Tuesday of Holy Week. Jesus' days were numbered, or rather... Jesus' time on earth, physically present with these Jewish leaders, was numbered. And Jesus knew this. He wanted to get these people to repent. He wanted them to realize that their time had almost run out. And so he tells this parable specifically to them to get them to realize that they are the tenants. And then at the end of the parable, he asks them, what will the landowner do with these wicked tenants? And they respond, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. They had pronounced their own judgment. How could they not see it? How could they not realize that they were the tenants in the parable? Because they were missing the most important piece. They didn't connect that Jesus was the son of the landowner. They refused to see Jesus as the son of God. They thought he was just some radical rabble-rouser from Nazareth. And because they refused to see that he was the Son of God, they put themselves on the wrong side of history. That phrase often comes up during the election cycle, when a candidate promises to his crowd, if you vote for me, you'll be on the right side of history. Of course, it's a completely empty promise. He has no way of knowing that, first of all, he'll win the election or not. And he certainly has no way of knowing whether in 100 years or 200 years or 300 years, people will look back with hindsight and say, oh yeah, that was the right side of history. They don't know that. But Jesus did know that whoever rejects him puts themselves on the wrong side of history. And so without a hint of permissiveness in his eyes, he warned those Jewish leaders that God's patience with them was almost up. After centuries and centuries of God being patient with his people Israel, their time was almost complete. He was about to take the vineyard away from them completely. We sit here 2,000 years later with the faith and the Bible that God has given us. And all we can do is praise God that we know what we know. We know how Holy Week would end. We know that the Jewish leaders would succeed. They would take the son outside of the city and have him put to death. But we know that three days later, that grave would be empty. We know that Jesus rose again from the grave. And sure enough, that rabble-rouser from Nazareth was who he said he was, the Son of God. And because Jesus rose from the dead, he proved his own words right. He was the cornerstone that the builders rejected. The Jewish leaders looked at him and they saw someone unremarkable, 
somebody who didn't fit their idea of what they were looking for, and so they tried to get rid of him. But God made that stone that the builders rejected, the cornerstone upon which he has built the whole Christian church of all time. We rest our faith on this cornerstone. Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection proves he's God's son. The resurrection proves God's patience without permissiveness. It proves God's patience because it proves that Jesus is that son of the landowner who was willing to give up his life to forgive us of all our sins. And yet God is not permissive with those who reject him as the son. He was not permissive with those Jewish leaders. He took the vineyard away from them. And now, as people who are in charge of the vineyard, it's important for us to hear this warning. If we were to continually take God's gifts and use them for ourselves instead of using them to give glory to God, we will end up just like those Jewish leaders. But the resurrection is also the best news for us. Because sometimes when we're giving, to, giving glory to God first before we take for ourselves, it seems like we're missing out, like we're falling behind, like we could be having a lot more fun. Sometimes it seems like we're just throwing happiness away for no reason. Well, the resurrection is our reason. The resurrection is proof that all of our sacrifices will be worth it because the resurrection proves that we're on the right side of history. And because we have this hindsight right now, talk about a life changer. Instead of seeing death as the finish line and thinking that we have to do all these things, we have to accomplish certain things, we have to put ourselves on the right side of history before we die, we see past death. We see that we will rise again in perfection. We see that God is not permissive of all the evil in the world. The way things are right now are not the way things will always be. God will bring it to an end. You will rise from the dead again in perfection. And God, we don't have to wait until then to give God his glory. God gives us the vineyard right now. He gives us the opportunity to manage our pocket of the vineyard in a way that reflects our future perfect lives in heaven. All these are gifts from God. So make your whole life a thank you letter to God. Live as he commands. Treat others as he wants. Regard yourself as he does. Meditate on his word. Live now like you will live in perfection one day. Live like you're on the resurrection side of history. Because we know how all things will work out. We know that we've already won. God has given us the vineyard. Let's tend it to his glory. Amen.